0: Hi, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 29th of October, 2020 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. We all know what's been happening the past year. You don't need me to tell you how much we miss our former lives of carefree travel and casual vacations. Those of us, and Hong Kong is an international city, who have family and friends overseas miss our frequent visits, and when Victoria came to the recording studio to record a poem for her grandma's birthday, I knew it was something we had to share. Today, as we enjoy with new appreciation those people still near us, we will be listening to Victoria with her love poem for Granny in the time of COVID. After Victoria, we'll hear from Jessica with another story of family relations. Before we get to today's stories, though, big squeezy hugs go out to our loyal Hong Kong listeners. We hear you, Hong Kong. We are listening. Hellos go out to our listeners in other parts of the world as well. This week, especially to listeners in Columbus, Ohio in the USA, Mersha in Brazil, and Woking in the UK. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears today's live show is sold out and we would like to say thanks hong kong for all your continued support and thanks for masking up and socially distancing but more importantly for being there and being an amazing audience next up on the live show is past present future a show with the hong kong international literary festival if you don't already know about the festival you should Our storytellers will be taken to the stage to tell and retell favorite stories from the past 12 months. Tickets are on sale. Follow the links on hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. And now with their love poem for Granny in the time of COVID, here is Victoria.
1: Granny. I have cast my net wide for love, and know what it is to be lost, but like light rising each morning, you are there. Granny, you heaped brown sugar dunes on eggy bread, fantasy of desert sand, and once an ice-cream float, fizzing like a merry grenade, in homage to your America, your crisp rainbow of New England leaves, your mooring place, before you cut loose on the whipped seas of this wonderful world. In a tilted hat and fine blouse, your smile a sunbeam, you were busy in the foreign service, speaking French, taking dainty sips of Austrian coffee, bronzing in Spain and Italy, dancing with a dashing officer or two. Granny, men fell clumsy over left feet for love of you. They still do. Grandpa, solemn, uniformed, handsome, his boyhood fixed in a photograph. I knew him by your love and a tear you let me see kept inside a cherished locket. And a second grandpa I knew too briefly for his laughing, the way he threw us kids up in the air taught me to dream of flying. Poetry is 30% fact, and the rest of it ought to be true because the heart is truer than history. These things born of birds on the wing, stories you told me before bedtime. You lived the part of your life I know most on the white coast of Spain, in splashes of orange and yellow trees that cradled your ramshackle house. I loved the summers we spent there, in the dusky wood and green forests, where shadows spun by flimsy curtains were pools to play in, and outside kids ran coated in sun cream. Once we painted our bodies red, green, blue, yellow, you showed us to your friends like crazy jewels, your granddaughters. You love a show, Granny. Granny singing summer time in a voice that dripped syrup. And you swam naked once in the pool, singing to the silvery moon. You taught us that normal is boring. You doted on your pooch, Clementina, princess, lover of a velvet cushion. In your birth I slept like womb sleep in beds that drifted at night on terracotta seas. You woke early, humming, preparing the house for guests, The constant callers, ladies and gentlemen, floated in and out a steady stream of mirth. The telephone was always ringing, and in your house it sounded like laughter. You were swimsuited in the widest hat, ready to drive us to the port, sharp left on shit corner, never knocking a chip off the old block. Though we'd tell you to be careful of shit corner, we loved to say it, shit, and we swam to the horizon and back for pulped oranges and chilled glasses. Towels wrapped around us, salted, sunburned, on the terrace of a Spanish cafe. You like your coffee just so, Granny. Warm milk and a croissant fresh from the oven. And you love me, even when I'm dull or selfish or moping. Sad scrap, I came friendless to your door one school holiday, a time for bubble baths and tennis lessons. I grew in your love, wisp, string bean, sweet pea. You wanted our friends to come. Bring them all, you said. Heaps of kids becoming teenagers knocking into things with elbows, gobbling hot dogs and demanding burgers in loud voices just before swimming, which you said wasn't healthy, but let us anyway. We hid behind towels to change. Backs to the walls, you said to me and my girlfriends, making a glowing absence of shame. Before long, all of us were skinny dipping in the pool. Before long, we were out late drinking disastrous things, and once you caught two interlopers snogging by the pool. You called us the young people. We were starry in your beam. Last summer, Granny, you escaped on a wild train, buccaneer to Yorkshire where you wanted rest. You walked in the garden bravely, even though your balance was unsteady. You showed me your albums, showing you'd tasted the world, laughing like a dandelion in the breeze. Your white hair begged the sun to shine through it. You love to paint in watercolours. I have two next to my bed in the east, bright flowers and an Easter basket, and the colours you use are bold, strokes of sunset, strokes of flame, bubbling rivers alive in meadows. Granny, you have painted me. Granny, on your 90th day, there is no card because the post offices are folding paper hearts and waiting for the end. I place this tenderly, into your mad, fighting, loving web of children, and your children's children, husbands, cousins, sisters. You are the oak, nourishing with dappled rays, so that we don't burn too fiercely. I have cast my net wide for love. I have caught thousands of glittering fish. I set them free, Granny, because love is a precious thing to be shared. And the largest, most glistening fish is yours, because you taught me this. All of it.
0: Thanks, Victoria, for letting us share that poem with our listeners. And now, for a brief commercial. This city is home to a rather special festival, one that brings authors here from around the world and highlights locally-based authors, too. From Ray Young to Kevin Kwan and around the world, this year the festival includes Sebastian Berry, Marilyn Chin, Francis Cha, and Anne Cleves, just as a starter. Check out the lineup at festival.org.hk and get your tickets now. This year, as we cannot travel like we used to, many of the festival events are hybrid, available both online and in person. Go to the festival website festival.org.hk and join Hong Kong Stories at the Hong Kong International Literary Festival. Now with a story of very different family connections. Here is Jessica.
2: I never lived with my dad. His place was never home. This didn't bother me when I was a kid. I always knew that my dad had done something terribly wrong to my mom. I knew that he must have really hurt her for my mom to bar him from visiting me when I was just two years old. I knew he had been an alcoholic. She only suggested that I contact him when I was nine years old after my first stepfather abandoned the two of us and I broke down and told her that he'd been abusive towards me for years. She handed me a photo of a man with snowy white hair, gently lined features, and large dark eyes. At first, I was scared. What if he turned out to be like my ex-stepfather? But a week later, I decided to contact him. He almost instantaneously showed up at my door with a large bouquet of flowers. Over the course of the next year, he let me determine how we got to know one another and was incredibly supportive. We settled into a routine. He would take me to singing and dance classes after school. Every Saturday, he would come and pick me up and we would watch movies, play chess, and talk for hours. He would help me develop my story ideas because he was a writer and playwright himself. But I was never invited to spend the night, and I never asked to. It didn't really occur to me when I was growing up to ask for more. I remember once I had a dream about my mom dying. And even in the dream, I didn't move in with my dad. I stayed in my home, living with my current stepfather. I only began to wonder about our relationship when I was in my twenties. How close were we really? What would have happened if I had asked to spend the whole weekend? His apartment had a spare room, but he put it—he'd made it into his office. So I couldn't be sure of his answer. Had I only avoided rejection by never asking? I guess I wasn't sure of his answer because my childhood sketch of his character had several gaps. He had taken me to Alcoholics Anonymous meetings where he talked about his life. He'd written several autobiographical plays, which I attended and in some cases performed in, but I knew next to nothing about his grandparents, about his aunts, his uncles, or his cousins. I knew very few of his friends and hardly knew any of their names. By then, I was living in New York. He couldn't afford to visit me very often He also had hearing problems, so long phone calls were difficult to manage. I could only make it down to Florida a few times a year, but I tried to make the most of that time to really connect and get to know him as an adult. And then time ran out. Two years ago, my dad died from a heart attack. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. Before I could process all of the There were more practical considerations that we had to confront. We needed to locate his will. We were pretty sure that he was going to leave everything to my stepmother. My stepmother had been in and out of the hospital for the last two years, and it was going to take a lot of financial resources to ensure that she was able to continue to receive treatment. But my stepsister, my half-brother, and myself all came down to Florida to try to get the rest of my dad's affairs in order. I was the last one to arrive. By the time I got there, my siblings had been frantically looking all over my dad's apartment, trying to find where he kept the important documents. As soon as I walked in the door, I understood why. All over his apartment were boxes upon boxes of paperwork there were boxes in the living room. There were boxes in the bedroom. There were boxes in his office. There were boxes in the hallway. There were boxes in the closet. The only, only the bathroom was free of boxes. And these boxes were from the 1980s and 90s, just repeatedly recycled. So you might start off reading one that said Christmas cards, but then that would be crossed out and it would read Uh, Instead, 2002 tax write-offs, only to actually contain the credit card information from 2010. And also, my dad had this lovely but inscrutable handwriting. It was like he spent his life doing interpretive dances across the page with his pen. We checked the box that seemed to be marked emergency documents. Nothing. Okay, well, maybe he stored them electronically, except for the latter part of of my dad's 77 years, he was very wary of technology. The computer was kept under his desk in parts collecting dust. I think he only kept it because it was more of a hassle to get rid of it. By now, my siblings were very busy trying to finalize funeral arrangements and care for my stepmother, so it was up to me to continue the search. I braced myself as I went into his office, trying to turn off his ache that continued to grow. The room was actually strangely comforting. It felt like a nest, warmly lit and earthy with random bits of knickknacks hanging on the walls and covering the cabinets. A cup from his father, cards from my brother, feathers from birding trips with my stepmother. He had hung a self-portrait that I had done in high school on the wall. He's, He's so sentimental, kind of like me. I scan his trove of books that are strewn about the room. There are texts on history, psychology, Catholicism, Shakespeare, acting. And I shake my head remembering that we are both interested in a wide array of things, which leads us to take on way too many projects, probably why I'm in this current situation. I check his desk, nothing. I look in the drawers, nothing. But as I'm standing in the midst of all of these files and boxes and labels, I think to myself, my dad is like me. He also loves the idea of being organized more than actually being organized. So I muse to myself What would I do with important documents that I still needed to look at? I would probably put them in a place where I would have to move them constantly to remind myself to finish them and stop procrastinating. So then I see the the stack of papers on the chair next to my dad's desk. I sift through them, and there's the will the deed to the house, his insurance information, and all the other important documents. I look up expecting to see him, his eyes gleaming and tilted slightly to the side. I glance down at the will to read a paragraph I hadn't expected to see. To my son and my daughter, I leave my writings and my plays to be shared in equal measure. He knew what I needed. I finally understood my place among his boxes and memorabilia. I finally understood what we meant to each other.
0: Thanks for listening to today's stories brought to you by Hong Kong stories. The music for this podcast was written and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.